This is the 94th episode of Just Shoot It. Just Shoot It Live. A podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. Tonight we are doing an intimate show with 50 of our closest friends. Uh, And we also have three amazing guests. We have Melissa Hunter. Melissa Hunter. Um, Melissa Hunter from Shitty Boyfriends, Miss 2059. Uh, Santa Clarita Diet, you are a writer on, and you just sold a brand new show. Yeah. Are we allowed to call it, say what name it is, or what can yeah. I say? You can say, I, The Network? The Network, for TBS, a very famous network. Performer, writer, fancy pants, Melissa Hunter, everybody. Yeah. Uh, next we have Matt Pollock. I oh, thought sorry. you said former writer, and I'm like, oh god, <laughs> no, what no, happened? No, no, yeah, performer. Yeah. Oh, no. everybody. Uh, next we have Matt Pollock. Uh, Matt Pollock. Uh, Adam ruins everything. Uh, 500 college humor sketches, and uh, this season of Hot Date on Pop TV. Yeah. And finally, we have my friend Matt Barber. Everyone, they're all my friends, but uh, I'm just calling him my friend Matt Barber. <laughs> we get it. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he started out as an editor. He edited some shows such as The O.C. and Chuck and a bunch of other amazing stuff. And he also now is a TV director. He's directed iZombie. He directed Lethal Weapon. He's directed The 100. Too many shows to list. Unless, is that the whole list? No, you can Um, So yeah, we have uh, kind of Everyone here is working in TV We thought it's kind of cool We have like a writer-showrunner We have director-EP We have editor-directors And so tonight we thought we'd we'd talk talk a little bit Yeah, Yeah. TV's worth that, right? Uh, But before we jump into it too much further uh, Big round of applause for Adaptive Studios For hosting us tonight (laughs) Thanks guys Much appreciated this woman in the gray over here is Kate Grady. She's been on our podcast. And she has uh, single-handedly taught most of America how to pitch a show to Adaptive. Thank you. And we have Steven behind her. He's her partner in crime. Hey. And we have Kate. It's easy when your name is the same as half the other people's names. So after the show, go say hi to them. Yeah, pitch them something. Give them one log line. Yeah, yeah. You just have to um, you have to sign an NDA first, but after that, it's all good. Yeah, and uh, they're also the people behind Project Greenlight, the show that uh, you, there's a poster over there on the wall, but that Matt and I discussed a lot in the first year of our podcast. Yeah, memories, you guys. So great. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, let's jump into it. Let's talk a little bit about television. Um, so, Melissa, well, let's start with you. We'll go down the line a little bit. Just kind of give us a brief catch up of what's going on with you. Oh, God, what's going on? Well, the holidays were tough with my family. Um, uh, Yeah, so I started on Santa Clarita Diet last year for the second season, um, and I'm hopefully going back soon. Um, And I recently sold a show to TBS, uh, but before, how do you, how do you want me to talk about this? I think that's probably, yeah, okay. Yeah, you, you just... Do you want my, like, resume? No, that's good. That's good. Just kind of, like, setting the table for everybody. Yeah, Just, like, yeah, yeah. yeah your show running. Yeah, well, executive producing, uh, writing currently in script uh, stage of the project with TBS. 
uh, with a partner, and that was originally based on a web series that I did with Above Average, um, and now we're making it into a TV show. Yeah. yeah. And are you guys going to pilot or? Um, right now it's just a it script commitment, but the way those deals work, it's like a, if you go for two seasons, all of the deal points are locked in and then they green light at every stage. So after a script stage, they, if they like it a lot, they'll make the pilot and then if they like the pilot, they'll go to series. And just for our audience, in case anyone doesn't know, like once you sell a show, um, just at the script phase, you basically never have to work again, right? That's how much. Yeah, money yeah, you yeah. Have. I mean, it's crazy how much. I mean, they gave me like a hundred. I don't. I know I'm not supposed to talk about it, but a hundred million dollars. Yeah. It was oh. wild. Uh, yeah, no. It's. I mean, it, one thing to learn that I've learned. This is my second time. Uh, I sold a show to True TV two years ago, and I think that's that's the one we talked about. On yes, the podcast. yeah, and so that got through to I wrote the pilot and shot the pilot, but then it did not go to series. But just how long that process takes that when you hear the money, you're like, oh great, that's so much money. Yeah, but I'm it's good. Like I'm set. Yeah. Money that you have that takes like two years for those first sure. two stages. Yeah. So it's definitely good to be doing always hustling while you're even when you get the job. Cool. Great. Well, uh, let's talk Matt Pollock here. Hey, buddy. Hey. Um, You have a similar sort of story. Uh, You did a couple episodes of Adam Ruins Everything last time we spoke and uh, have since done an entire season of television. Yeah, very exciting. Hot Date is the name of the show. Um, It's on Pop TV, which a lot of people don't know exists. Round of applause for Pop TV. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's a fun little cable network. Um, They've got like other shows on it, uh, Schitt's Creek being one of them, uh, which some people know. But um, uh, yeah, I did Adam Ruins Everything uh, about a year ago, and then this past year I did three uh, another set of three episodes. I also did I also did a pilot for True TV, uh, which also didn't get picked up, but it was a very good experience. Yeah. Uh, How did you was, get that pilot? I got that pilot because I did Adam, Adam Ruins Everything. So it was with True, same, you know, same network, and they liked my work on Adam. And uh, it was like kind of a hidden camera, social uh, experiment type show. Um, and so I had some of that work from the College Humor days and some of my commercial reel as well. So it was like a mixture of a lot of different things I'd done leading up to this. And it was a cool opportunity because it was like a show running experience more than it was a directing experience, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, but it was, uh, How so? How did uh, you- my title was showrunner, not director. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but those, those, uh, lines tend to blur when, uh, there's not a director on board. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really fun experience. It was, uh, it was cool. And then, uh, fortunately, uh, Later in the year, I got Hot Date, which was 10 episodes we shot over the summer in Chicago. Uh, and then Post took us all the way through basically till November. So that was pretty much most my year. Um, and now, you know, waiting to hear back via season two. And in the meantime, I'm going to do a little bit of a tour and try to meet with some people and hopefully get some more TV gigs. And like, so, like so, what countries on this tour? Oh, uh, a tour, uh, United States, uh, a, lot of, a lot of US. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Oren had a real question. I had a better sure. question, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, um, kind of similar to Melissa's question. So you directed Adam Ruins Everything, and then they just offer you to be a showrunner on a show, or do you have to really fight for that 
job? Uh, I mean, I had I had interviews and whatnot, and I think you know they were talking to a few people, but I think because I you know the network liked my work on Adam and trusted me, and probably got a good word from the network or from the production company Big, Big Breakfast, probably put in a good word for me. And then on top of it, having a lot of material that was similar to that pilot or to that show, it made sense. Right. So, like the it, Mentos stuff you did. Yeah, similar. yeah, yeah. So it, it was, it kind of was a perfect storm of a bunch of stuff that I had done that led to this good opportunity, which was very, I was very lucky to get it. And as Melissa said, it was like, oh, this could be a really good career move and slash paycheck. And then it just like, you know, takes forever and then doesn't come to fruition. You're like, oh, well, oh, well. Right. <laughs> just a reminder for our audience, Matt is... Matt's website is Matt Directs. Matt Pollock's website is mattdirects.com. And he's the one that we did a whole episode on like good URLs for your directing things. Like he inspired me to get directed by Oren.com because oh, I didn't want Oren no. Direct. It just seemed like too much of a ripoff. But, uh, <laughs> but check out, go to mattdirects.com, check out his Mentos work. It's this really kind of interesting um, hidden camera kind of uh, reality uh, commercial yeah. that yeah. Like a nice prank yeah it's like a kids. good prank yeah. yeah and there's there's cute little british kids in it yeah so right. can't go wrong um cool well matt barber yes um hopefully the third, you're not, third of the mats. you're not bored over there um so matt barber you were an editor turned director and we've heard this story many times mm-hmm. i mean matt pollock was also he had he also owns mattedits.com um, but you, you worked on kind of giant shows right out of the gate. And it, mm-hmm. how long did it take you to go from editor to director? And how did you do that? Well, I mean, technically, I'm still working on that transition. This is my, I, I've declared myself this year, this is my transition year. So yeah. um, congratulations. It's been, it's, been a, it's been a journey. It's been uh, five, six years. And there's been a few shifts in the industry that have slowed down my progress, which we can talk about later. But um, but yeah, I think for me, editing gave me a good foundation to direct, and I had a lot of um, and a lot of support from various showrunners and you know, you know, fellow directors, and the I've been, so I've been on, I've been on Lethal Weapon for the last two years, editing and directing. I've directed two and a half episodes and a bunch does, of second units. Yeah, how does half an episode work? I'm well, I, I, can't, I can't technically go into all the details, okay. but you know, and uh, one director decided to leave the show for uh, for oh, gotcha. for a reason halfway and through an episode they, they asked me to take you know they asked me to take over and so. uh had you directed episodes before or no yes okay yeah yeah so I, I directed last year and i got signed on to direct another, uh, this year and then one of the directors had to drop out halfway through i came in because i had a good rapport with the actors and you know sure and part of your deal like so as an editor you have to say like I'll edit your show but you have to give me an episode right it's like a negotiation yeah well, I mean when, when you get to a certain level as an editor it's e- it's it's easier but when you if you're just out of the gate and this is your first editing gig you can't really say that you know but um, when you're by the time I got to the point where I was editing pilots and someone really wanted me to do a pilot I'm like I'll do your pilot if the show goes to air I will get a directing slot so um, but in the meantime I've also been you know hustling to get my own like feature films I've been writing scripts I just got I just got hired to direct my first feature film in Atlanta this June. Hey, congrats, yeah. man! Cool. Well done. It's crazy. It's crazy how like everyone's pathways are so different. Like so many people, the first thing they direct is like a feature film, and you've directed like all this like network, big network TV, and now you know 
15 years later, you're like, have, you got your movie. Yeah, I mean, but the whole time I was directing short films, music videos, documentaries, just anything I could get my hand on just so I could keep, keep directing, you know. But I still wanted a check to come in, so I kept editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is one of the challenges of this business. Um, so you guys, so Melissa, obviously you write a lot. And do you guys, Matt, do the mats write much? Uh, a little bit. I'm a better, I'm a better rewriter than I am a writer. I, uh, yeah. But like, I don't, I mean, it's not my, I'm not a writer-director. I'm more of a director-editor than a writer-director. But I do, you have to write. You have to write your own stuff and you have to write your own shorts and develop ideas for possible shows and other things with friends or whatever. I mean, it's, it's part of the job, part of creating. Right. Poetic. Well, so uh, that's interesting, though, because I think that part of what I love about this panel is that you guys are all working in TV, right? Um, But kind of all coming at it from a slightly different perspective, right? Like writer-performer, director-editor, and Matt, you were like show-running as well. So so that's fascinating to me. I think the thing that maybe people have been uh, worried about in the past with television is like, oh, how much creative input do I really get to have, you know, as a director or as an actor or as a performer? You know, there's a lot of different ways. There's so many. It's such a huge machine, right? That like, you know, you hear about like studio notes or whatever, and then all of a sudden your vision is boiled down. Um, how do you? What were the ways in which you felt like you got to really like put your fingerprints on a project? I mean, you created a show, right? So that's helpful. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I started out doing my making my own stuff that's mm-hmm. always what I've been doing uh, I started with doing making sketch videos with the sketch team and then making adult Wednesday Adams which was kind of became my calling card and then making backseat bitches with above average which is now what we're doing but so I was all very used to calling the shots and like knowing what my vision was but it was on such a small scale like with couple thousand dollar budgets and whatever well let's flip the script then was it yeah so I kind of came at it in reverse my first big job was two years ago when I uh got Maya and Marty which was Maya Rudolph and Martin Short's variety show for NBC and I went to New York I literally had a one day's notice to move to New York for three months which is a crazy different story but um uh so then I was all of a sudden serving someone else's vision in such an intense and intimidating atmosphere because it was run by SNL and and 30 Rock and all of that stuff. So So literally your bosses are Maya Rudolph, Martin Short, and Lorne Michaels? Yes, yes, that's correct. (laughs) No no pressure whatsoever. (laughs) Mostly I was at like UCB before then. Um, So I think going in there, you know, what I learned was like, you know, I did all the research, even though I obviously know SNL and Maya Rudolph and Martin Short's work. I like watched all of their work all over again. Even Clifford. Uh, <laughs> um, and and tried to cater to them, but also like, I think it's just it's so cheesy, but it's just about trusting yourself and knowing that you get hired for a reason. And so when you you know as long as you do the work in advance to serve the project, then beyond that, it's like I pitched what I thought was funny Mm -hmm. and what I found interesting because I know that I can't write something funny if I don't think it's funny. Mm -hmm. And so 
I think it's about doing the front load work of like doing the homework and serving whatever vision you're doing. But then if you get hired for the job, trust yourself beyond that, that they want, you know, every shoot is a collaboration and it isn't, it's not a novel, you know, it's, it's a hundred people working on one thing. And, uh, that's, what's so beautiful about it. Yeah, that does seem like hard, like Barber and Pollock when you're so when you did Adam ruins everything. And obviously you've done Barber like shows that you did not do the pilot on. Like how much do you guys trust your own vision and how much do you guys just try to please the showrunners? Well, I mean, I always say that there's a, um, you know, every every show has has their boundaries where you can sort of play in. You know, it's like it's like a train and the engine's just going and, and there's. You, don't, you might be able to like add one car to the whole thing, but you don't want to you know, say, you know what, I'm going to make this a bullet train when it really is just like a steam engine, you know? I mean, and we've all seen those episodes of TV where you're just like, what the fuck? Like, who shot this? Like, I, I've been in editing rooms where directors like, I want to take a whole, I want, it's a whole new spin. And unless it's like a dream episode or, or specifically intended to be a different tone, like, you have to know, and, that, and you have to know where, where your boundaries are. And that's why, I, when I go on to a new show, I'm always I always ask the writer, the editors, whoever is um, is part of the creative team, is like, where is my where are my boundaries? You know, where can I play? And every every showrunner wants you to put some spin on it, but some less than others. You know, like like Rob Thomas is like, every line if there's an action line, you have to capture that that line. That's iZombie. That's yeah. his show. Yeah, yeah. It's like he has like the most narrow window, but once you know the window, then you can have then then it's actually there's a freedom in knowing what your window is. Can you give us like an example? Like if it says like she scratches her nose, like the person you have to get a shot of her scratching her nose. Well, there there was there was a moment when when Liv had had to uh, um, she she had that reaction to something I can't remember, and we had done six takes, uh, uh, you know, and you know narrowing in the performance. And there's there's someone on set who's who basically is, is the script um, supervisor. They just you know it's not the script supervisor. There's just a producer that sits on set and makes sure you get every single thing that's in the script. And there were six takes. She now she had done a reaction previous, which I knew in the edit I could steal. You know I'm like oh I'm fine moving on. And he came came up to me. He's like we need to do one more. I'm like well why? You know he's like well she didn't do this look. I'm like yeah but I can steal it. He's like nope nope we have to do the look again. So they very much treat it like a play. You know, I'm like, all right, that's how you do it. You know, that's an extra, that's an extra, you know, 10 minutes, but that's how they want to do it. Right. Yeah. That's always happens with producers. I feel like on set or like writers too, where they're like, you didn't get this. And you're like, well, I got it before we can use it. And they're like, let's, let's just get it the right way. But that's when you start losing like all these other shots. Awesome. You know, all your awesome drone shots. Yeah. I, um, (laughs) I, uh, I don't know who told this to me, but it, Makes sense. As a director, when you're going to a new TV show, you're pretty much you're you're a guest in their world. Like the writers, the showrunner, the even even down to the you know cameraman. Like everyone on that show, it's their family, and you're the guest. And you very much can have a vision and ideas and still be creative, but you know you you have to get the job done, and you have to you know ideally get out on time and 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 follow what the show is set up already before you uh you know for adam it's it's a very creative world and there's I, fortunately a lot of uh creative freedom for the directors to come up with ideas on how to you know block things and and stuff like that some tv shows don't have that much creative freedom so it 
it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of figuring out, like you said, asking, you know, what are the limitations, basically, exactly what you said. So it's, uh, it's, it's tough, but it's, it's not, it's not the hardest thing in the world. It's, it's, there's some stress taken off because you don't have to come up with everything all at once. And there's people there to help you and everyone wants it to be good and, 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 you know, make sure that everything gets done. So, you know, you have to just trust yourself and trust the people you're working with. Well, speaking of that stress, Melissa, that the stress that he says he doesn't need to worry about Matt Pollock because the show's already established that. Do you feel like some responsibility, like when you're the showrunner on your new show, to figure out what the show looks like? I mean, obviously you're setting a tone through the scripting, mm-hmm. but like what the show looks like, how it's shot, how the coverage is done, what the color palette is, how much of that are you taking on your own shoulders? Yeah, I mean, with the new show, it's pretty early stages still we're like outlining right now but I would say with my true show I brought on a director and I had another executive producer but I really you know I spent so much time living with this script and the series bible and everything else that you know I worked with a great director shout out to Stony Sharp um and he really helped me like we had so many conversations about the vision of the project and I created mood boards and soundtracks and I had done that like while I was writing so once as a part of your process or for something to deliver later I as a part of my process I I think I did the mood board after I finished the script but I usually create soundtracks when I'm writing because I think it helps me like get into the mode of writing this show and this world um And then it was really about hiring people, like I was saying, being on the flip side of it, of like hiring people that I really trusted their taste from production designer to costume designer to casting director, that I could really communicate with them and they respected me and I respected them um, to create something and each add something different. Cool. Well, so let's, so bringing it back, rewinding a little bit out of like kind of selling a show you guys, kind of with your experience now, if, if you were a new writer, director moving to L.A., just moved here a year ago, and you want to get into TV, like, what, what advice would you give? Like, what's kind of step one? Make stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's with, constantly the, 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 you know, if, if you were to take away one thing from this entire podcast, the one thing is just start shooting, you know, just shoot it. Just make your own stuff. You, you have to. Uh, and, like, I... I've always I've wanted to work in TV for a while because TV is uh, such a wonderful format now with so many great shows uh, that when I started directing I was just doing college humor stuff and that's what led me to where I'm at without college humor I don't get Adam ruins everything if I don't get Adam ruins everything I don't get that pilot I don't get that pilot I don't get hot date and unfortunately that's just the nature of or what my dates. story is Hot, or hot dates, yeah. Uh, too easy. I'm sorry. Too easy. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's for me. It was I started editing, and you know I just started making my own stuff, and then uh, just kept doing it. And started editing for College Humor, and then started directing for them, and just kept making shorts and sketches, and and then you know th- that's part of it. Is you need to you need to show someone I can do this, and then once you do that, you ideally could get more work, and then from there you need to be a good director to work with you need to be the type of person that people are going to say like oh this guy's great this 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 person's great uh you should hire them for xyz 
and then all of a sudden you're doing more projects and so on and so forth. So make your own stuff and then try to get yourself out there and ultimately be someone who people want to collaborate with and work with. So can I just ask you, Pollock? Sorry, I'm asking all the questions and low. I just have so many good questions. Um, I've only got that, one. Uh, He's um, you specifically have done a lot of commercial work, like broadcast TV commercials and everything. Do you think that, that I, I think a lot of our listeners sometimes think like, oh, I'll start in commercials, you know, while I'm waiting to get my feature done or whatever. Do you think your commercial work? Do you guys think work, that? We have them right here. Do you guys think do that? Do you guys think that? Listeners? Nobody. Show of hands? That. No one. <laughs> not one person. Um, not one person. Um, <laughs> Okay, well, do you think, Pollock, that your commercial work has at all helped you in TV? Uh, it has, in a way. So, in reality, when it comes to commercials, like if you want to direct a commercial, you need a commercial to show that you could do it. So, it's that catch-22. It's the same thing with TV, where unless you're coming in from another side, like as an editor, it's hard to get an episode of TV if you haven't directed an episode of TV. So, in that sense, they have no relation to each other. What it did do was, because I travel a lot for work, I've, I've gone to different countries where they don't even speak English and, and directed commercials there. England. It allowed for, on this experience with Hot Date, we were shooting in Chicago, which thankfully they speak English there. Uh, and so I was able to say, look, I've filmed in places that I've never been before and worked with crews I've never worked with before. This is not something scary or new to me. I'm... I, I'm comfortable doing this. And that was another selling point. So the idea, you know, me directing a hefty commercial or a Mentos commercial or a Heineken commercial, that didn't matter. But the experience that was behind that commercial helped me get that show. Yeah. I was up for a hot date also. And I was like, I cannot work with any crew that's not from LA. <laughs> so Bad move, now man. I know Bad what move. the mistake I mean. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I will, I will add that like, as someone like I'm, I'm slow to come up with ideas. I don't come up with viral ideas. Like, all my stuff never goes viral, um, and, but, I'm, but, I'm, but I am constantly making things. But at the same time, I made myself indispensable to really talented people who could give me the jobs. So when I got to the point where like they saw me, like I shot, I you know, shadowed a director, I shot a bunch of short films, music videos, and then uh, a door opened up, and I'm like, I want a director. Like, okay, we'll give you, we'll give you one. But this was after like four or five years of like hustling and doing my own stuff. And you were kind of Josh Schwartz's right-hand man for a while, right? For a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, along those lines, one thing I remember at like Sketch 101 teacher at UCB telling uh, the, the class on the first day was like, you're not here to impress me, you're here to impress everyone else in this room because I'm, if I get a show, I'm not giving any one of you jobs. <laughs> I'm gonna give my friends jobs who I've been working with for the last 10 years. And who and I met in Sketch 101. Who I met in Sketch 101. Right. And he was absolutely right. Like I have a friend from that class who I still work with and who I've gotten a job and he's gotten me a job. So I think it's, like really, whether you're in comedy or not, if you're in comedy, go to UCB, IO, all of those places. But even if you're not, like find, build a community of to, of people that you make shorts with. And sometimes you're a PA, and sometimes you're the director, and sometimes you're the actor, and sometimes you do crafty, and and you develop a group of people that once one of them, you know, tide rises all ships and all of that. Like all of the breaks that I've gotten have come from peers and friends. Yeah, 100%. Well, so kind of I want to ask a question based on what Barber said, which he said he shadowed some directors. How, do you guys think 
I mean, that's a little bit more of like the traditional system. Did you, Melissa, shadow anyone? Pollock, does, is that something that plays into your pathway at all? No, um, but I think as a writer and performer, it's a little different. I just read a lot of scripts, I think. Um, and I worked on a lot of sets just to kind of see how they work, but no. Um, I haven't I haven't shadowed a director, like gone on a show I don't know and, and just, you know, kind of followed him and watched and saw what he did. But I have, when I got my first three episodes of Adam, I spent a couple of days on set when my buddy Tim Wilkheim, who former guest, uh, he was directing and I was just watching just to see how the crew worked and I was in a comfortable spot where I knew probably 60% of the people on set, but uh, it just allowed me to get a vibe for the, for, you know, how they worked. But uh, in the traditional sense, no, I would love to, um, but it's, you know, it's time taken out of when I also want to be working. So it's, it's hard. I, I, I did shadow not that long ago and they were pretty clear, like, Hey, you know, you're great, but like, this isn't going to lead to a job. Like, just to be clear up top. Right. You know, At least like, shadowed Brooklyn Nine Nine. Sure. Which yeah, probably yeah. has like a very long they have list a great of directors. Roster of people. And like Melissa was saying, it was a roster of people that they developed based off of, you know, decades worth of relationships. You know. Just so. since we have some of our listeners here, do you, do you guys all know what shadowing is? Anyone not know it? Ben Caro? <laughs> How do, how do you get there? How, how do, do you, you get to shadow? How do you get to shadow? Yeah. Uh, again, it's relationships, right? Like, I think um, uh, it was, I had a friend who works on the show, basically, and, like, she just kind of waited for the right director, and she really kind of, like, cherry-picked that person of, like, oh, this is a person who's, like, really open to that idea. He had, like, a killer resume, so people, he wasn't, like, threatened by me in the, the least, you know, um, and was, like, at a point where he was just ready to kind of, like, show people around a little bit. And also, you know, I didn't um, be in the way. I wasn't in the way at all. Like, I knew where to stand. I didn't, like, pitch any ideas or, like, you just, you're a fly on the wall, basically, as best you, you can be. it helped you? Um, yeah, the, the, the main thing it did, it didn't help me from a career perspective in the literal sense. Like, no one's going to be like, hey, Enlo. Um, but it did, it's a little boring, I'll admit, but the thing that it really helped with was like, oh, I know how to do this. Like you watch somebody do it for a day and you're like, like yeah. It's a confidence boost. It's a confidence boost. There's not like a secret magic recipe. Like it's the same sort of work that you're doing on your very first things. Are the It's the same idea basically. So yeah. like the crew is bigger, you know, you have more toys, but um, it's all, it's the thing that you all are doing basically. I had the exact opposite experience from Matt where I shadowed someone that I, I met them they had worked with an actor that I had made a short film with. The, the actor showed it to this director. He was like kind of a big network director. And I asked if I could meet with that director. I said, I'd like to shadow you. He let me come with him to set. And he basically hated me. I asked too many questions. I was not a fly on the wall. I was way too involved. I got really bored really quick. So I kind of... You guys, it's for real, it's pretty boring. It's that like, was, imagine... That was Matt Barber, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? Yeah, never again. Never but again. I, I, but speaking of that, I have asked Matt Barber recently if I could shadow him because I feel comfortable with him and I did not feel comfortable with this other director. Matt, did you take any of Warren's ideas? No, no, I haven't shadowed <laughs> oh, him yet, but I asked him if I could. <laughs> but I feel like, because I know Matt, I don't know, I feel like it would just be fun to watch him work, you know, so... 
I don't know. I, I, if I can chat is, is that is that an official uh, ask? Whoa. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like it's this, my second time officially asking. <laughs> but if you'd like to say yes now, then go for it. I'm going to give you a book that will allow you to have like 10 questions. And you have to use those, those papers really like judiciously. Question coupons? Question coupons, yeah. Um, awesome. Uh, so I guess... Uh, I wanted to ask a little bit, and we've touched on this a little bit, but I feel like we still don't have quite the answer. Like, how important is it in TV for you to have an original voice? Like, you know, part of what we're talking about is, like, fitting into the train that's already running, like, you know, staying within the goalposts, and the other part is, like, well, I guess we haven't really talked about being super original. Um, I mean, Melissa, when you sold your show, were you like, you've never seen a show like this, it's amazing. Yeah, that was my pitch. Um, yeah, I mean, as a writer, I think it's incredibly important to have an original voice, and I think that's just, like, what you find interesting and weird and cool about the world. And I think the closest thing I had to that was Adult Wednesday Adams, and that was uh, the thing that got me my first big job and the thing that people connected to the most of all my work. And I think when you're vying for a writer's room job, particularly having, there are so many great writers out there. So having, and there are so many great scripts. So having one that has a unique perspective is, is not only gonna make you stand out, but when, you have the, when you're at the stage where you have an agent and they're pitching you and they read your script like, they're like, oh, I need someone like that in my room. And I think because my samples were a little dark and a little weird, that was like great for Santa Clarita diet. And so when that was staffing, my agent was like, oh, Melissa is perfect for this specific show. I'm not perfect for a ton of other shows, and I probably wouldn't have gotten those jobs. But because my voice is specific, it was easy to pitch for that show. Cool. Well, speaking of agents, how did the, the two Mets, um, Pollock and Barber, do you guys have agents? How did you get them? And again, did you have to prove to them that you were like an original voice that's different from everyone on their roster to get them? Well, I mean, my, my, mine's a little mine's a little different because I, I mean, I, because I came from the editing world, I acquired an editing agent to help me with negotiations just because I hated negotiating. And it was after we worked, uh, you know, we, I almost worked on your film. I'm just like, I need an agent for, for this. Um, but, and they had a lit side, which, which is where they represent writers and, and directors. And when I, was, when I was ready to start directing more, they're like, you know, just, we'll just fold you in and it's the same 10% across the board. I'm like, great. So it was just kind of a natural thing. In the process, a, a year later, I got a call from a manager. And one of my, one of my former mentors, um, uh, his manager was her, his manager was like, "Who's hot? Who do you know is hot?" And like, "Oh, this guy Matt." So she sought me out. You know, so that's how I got my manager. Um, yeah, my story. Uh, when I moved to LA, um, uh, with I was working at College Humor, and I started doing a little bit kind of bigger sketches. And so I put together a reel and put it on Facebook. And a friend of mine who uh, is actually now, the act, she's an amazing actress. She's in a really big sci-fi movie coming out this year. I won't say her name because 
I don't know, it seems weird, but she put me in touch with her manager. Super famous. She's very so famous. Guys, it's a name drop without the name. Yeah. But she put me in touch with her managers uh, because, you know, we were friends, worked together, and I had a decent reel at this point. But then uh, I also, at the same time, like went out to a party that my friends threw and their uh, lawyer, their entertainment lawyer was there. And so I, it was like one of the only times I've really ever done the like, hey, blah, blah, blah. Like, I didn't say it like that, but, you know, introduced myself and said, yeah, I just got this reel together. Yeah. Uh, I was like, hey. Um, but he was, he just said, yeah, send me, send me a reel. I'd love to see it. He gave me his card. And then I sent it to him and he works with Principato Young a lot, which is my now management company and sent it to them. They loved it and uh, signed me essentially. So I, think, I feel like you can't stress enough how incredibly powerful it is to edit a reel and put it on Facebook. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's what did it. it. Like, if I didn't meet that lawyer, I would have probably went with this other company. But, like, it was literally just putting myself out there and saying, hey, here's some stuff. And thankfully, it worked out. So, Melissa, how important is social media for your work? Um, it was very it was very important for when I was making tons of videos for the Internet. Um, I think that most of, you know, the sketches and web series stuff that I did, any attention that it got was because I just shared it on Facebook. And if it had legs, it would go, you know. Right. I, I want to back up and talk a little bit about representation because mm -hmm. you're repped uh, across the board as well as a mm -hmm. performer also. Yeah. How, what came first? Um, well, it kind of went back and forth. I was repped originally as an actor at like a smaller company. And then I got a manager, this was like five years ago, um, and she, again, back to the point of like, no, be friends with your peers. Like she was someone that just got promoted to a manager and she was an assistant and she had friends that were assistants that I knew and she was looking for clients and I had two samples, two scripts, and she read them and we uh, got along. And But I ha was with a management company for talent, so I had to choose. I couldn't be repped by both, so I went with her over there. So for a couple years, I just had lit management and then worked with her and she's a close friend of mine now and then she went right when things were starting to happen for me she went to CAA and it was just very fortuitous timing because mm -hmm. that was when things were moving along and she was able to kind of get me repped across the board over there and just to clarify across the board <coughs> just means like in all of the departments basically right so yeah. acting show running so do you guys get stressed out when you haven't, like, gotten a job through your representation for a while that they are going to drop you? Uh, you know, I, I've actually never gotten a job through my representation. <laughs> I've gotten all my own jobs, you know. Um, but what, what it does for me is, I mean, I, I, I'm able to make new connections I don't, haven't, don't have. You know, they're always, they always setting me up on these general meetings. And so... It's, it's one of these, like, they, they help lay the, the, the groundwork, the foundation. So I'm, I'm well, I'm far more known in the industry than I was before I had representation. But the work still comes from my own relationships for the most part. So right. Could you call, like, like, so you're doing a movie now, do you call your agent and say, hey, I want to meet this actor or make an offer to this actor? Or is that not something that your reps do for you? No, because my, my I mean, my reps mostly want me to do, and when I, when I hire when I them, they're like, we want to focus on your TV 
we don't care. We don't really care about indie indie stuff. And the only reason why, I mean, I want. I mean, I want to do a, a, a indie film because you know I want to do an indie film because I've never done a feature film. Um, but also, it's like ultimately I want to direct pilots, and I had to show the whole industry that I can create a world from scratch. And the only way I can do that is if I go out and create a world from scratch. So that's what I'm trying to do. Right. I, so for all of you, how do you guys? You know, we talked about. Like, obviously, as a writer, you have to be creative and get inspired. But even like Matt Barber, when he was on our podcast last time, just talked about transitions from scene to scene, visual transitions. Like, what do you guys do to get inspired creatively to like kind of bring new things to the table since you've been, you know, after you've been working in this business for a few years? How do you get inspired? Warren um, and I are out of ideas. So. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think. I get inspired a lot by friends and colleagues, I, and it's not so much a direct inspiration of like, oh, they did this, it's really cool, but sometimes it's just, oh, they worked on this project, I gotta get my, my butt in order and, and get something as good. You know, it's like a little bit of a competition in a way without it being a competition. It's just a little bit of like us kind of pushing each other to do better and to get more work and and then while doing that also seeing the work people are doing and being like oh that's amazing how'd you do that oh you did this okay cool and then you try that out i've the two shows i worked on adam ruins everything and hot date both shows are like pretty much like the main creative side of it is transitions actually and like is is you know, transitioning rather from one scene to another or with Adam with like one fact to another. And, and it's really fun. And, you know, we take cues from each other. The other directors uh, on the show will like, you know, if you do something good and it, it works well, it becomes kind of a, a part of the DNA of the show. So it's, it's kind of cool in that regards. But I mean, for me, aside from, you know, music and, and watching films and TV and reading, it's, it's my friends really. Yeah. What I like about that is that like it makes things tangible. Right. You're like, oh, this person did this. I guess I know people who make TV shows now. I know people who sell TV shows now. So it's like it can feel so uh, nebulous or, or um, just out of reach. And then it's like, oh, like my pals are doing it. So, you know, maybe I can as well. I think is, that's a nice takeaway, I think. Yeah. Directors don't talk enough is the problem. And directors like it's, you know, there's no real one way to get to a director job so you're kind of learning on as you go and a lot of it's by yourself which is unfortunate because we all could learn a lot from each other and not in a way where you know we're going to steal work from each other but in a way where there's enough work to go around we could really like elevate the whole you know art form which would be amazing so it's it's one of those things like that's why i think this podcast is great and just having so many directors in a room it's amazing because you just talk and you know, here's an idea I had, or I tried this thing, oh, that's cool, or I saw you did this thing, how'd you do that, that's amazing, and then, you know, it's, I, that's the side of it that it doesn't happen enough, I think, and should happen more. Yeah. But I think one thing that's really cool, though, is like, you know, if you, like, I came out of film school with no, like, clear vision. So I ended up in post-production, because I was kind of good at it, but what it gave me was a chance to see how other people did it, and to continue to learn, and also to see that, there are a lot of bad directors out there, you know? Yeah, and, that's a real gift is, is knowing that. Yeah, and then I'm like, I'm like well, uh, you know, because I had real, like, self-confidence issues coming out because, I, I mean, it took me a long time to graduate from, from college. I started a little bit later than everyone else. So I'm like, um, I felt like I was behind the curve. 
But then once I saw all these like really terrible directors, I'm like, I can do better than this guy. I can do better than this person. I'm like, so, and I, but then I also got to see some great directors and like, oh, look, you know, you know, steal this, borrow that, and then go, go from there. Yeah, just to build on what Matt Pollock says, I have this friend, Mike Ashton, who's an editor, director, producer guy. And the way I met him is I was just watching video, like awesome music videos on YouTube or something, and I saw this effect that I just could not figure out how it was done. And I just like looked up who directed it, I Googled him, found his website, saw a bunch of other awesome things, and then just like emailed him, and I was like, how'd you do this? And now we're like good friends. And I think that's like something that's like... That is bonkers. It, that's seems, so crazy. <laughs> it seems like something you couldn't do, but there's no... To me, what's fun about being a director is seeing something and being like, how did that happen? Whether it's a performance or a moment or... Like, I mean, I don't know, I've seen all these like foreign films with child actors and I'm like, how do you... I can't even get my kid to like respond to her name, you know, let alone <laughs> to like give a performance. So, um, you know, I think like what Pollock is saying that like it's just worth asking people is, is really valuable. Yeah, um, and also what Barbara was saying is like being an editor and seeing raw footage. There's I I it's there's something to watch a scene, whether it be a visual effects scene, and know what the raw footage looked like, know what they had to shoot to get it, or like you were saying, to seeing a, a performance and getting little bits that were caught on film. Uh, it is. I wish I could see more of it now. Like sometimes I'll watch this like raw footage of like scenes. They'll put them up on YouTube of like James Bond movies, and it's like these ridiculous scenes. But it's not like the fake PR behind the scenes. It's like real raw footage, and it's so much more interesting and and just educational than whatever BTS PR shit they have on. You know. Right. So, well, Melissa, you when you were on our podcast last, you kind of pitched us three of the shows you you had sold and they all kind of started with this is something that happened to me or this is like a really funny thing that I noticed is that do you do you find that like your inspiration mostly comes out of your own life yeah my own life my friends and observations uh I I was gonna say the thing that I do to be inspired or when I'm feeling uninspired is I shut my computer uh and go outside like it's just I feel I'm, I have an addiction uh, to my phone and to my computer and screens, and I think when that's usually when I feel like, ugh, I can't write anything. The worst thing you can do is stare at a blank final draft document, and it's, <laughs> it's gonna be like, appear, <laughs> muse, uh, but that's not how it works. So I, like one of the mats, um, I talk to my friends who are writers, and usually it's like a half of a half of a half an idea and I'm like, is this a thing? And they're like, let's talk about it. And then we talk about it and she'll talk about her, is this a thing thing? And it's, I think, connecting in person with people that are also creative and in the same whirlwind of trying to conjure the right thing um, is really helpful. Um, right. That's so interesting. I feel like I, I am not, I'm like independent study. Yeah. I like have to just be like, okay, I'm gonna lock myself in a cave. You know yeah, what I mean? I'm not. I mean, yeah. I think it's you know it's different personality types, and I think for me, I'm not. I will never be a novelist who will like go sure, sure. To, into a cabin in the woods. I would straight up lose my mind. Yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about Joshua Tree a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do. I feel like just my personality type is I really thrive off of other people's creative mm -hmm. energy, and I'm like reminded of other people and how they talk and their tics and like mm -hmm. their dreams and the way they feel about situations. It's always, as a writer, it's really good to understand how other people think and feel. 
Right. That reminds me, we actually have our very first guest on the podcast here. His name is Avi Rothman, sitting in the back. <laughs> he, uh, he saw Larry David once walk into a house where um, the people that own the house said, hey, you know, our policy is no shoes in the house. Everyone take your shoes off. And so everyone that came in took their shoes off, but Larry David pulled a notepad out and just like wrote something down. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's just like so classic, like idea generation, you know, like noticing that thing that we've all been to houses where people say, take your shoes off. But that Larry David is like, oh, that gives me an idea for like a, you know, a whole plot line for a show. And you, we can instantly see how that would be yeah. a plot line for an so, episode of Curb. Right? What, yeah, what a Larry David idea yeah. <laughs> to have a problem with that, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but it's, I think what we all struggle with, especially me, is I'm always like, oh, I'm going to carry a notepad. Ken Fuhrer, who's a writer who's here too, used to always like write things down when we would hang out, which I haven't seen you do that much lately. Yeah. But, uh, but I th- you know, I think the computers and all that stuff are stopping us from doing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely, I have a notebook, but then I also just use the notes on my phone and I have hundreds of notes that are just like two words and I'm like what is glitter explosion like I have no idea it's like three in the morning but I I write stuff down when I think it's interesting and I think it is really helpful so you're not starting from a blank page sometimes I will go through the notes or I will go through the notebook and just look at the things that I wrote down that are interesting I mean you know something else I've been exploring lately is I mean the idea of boredom and just rumination, you know. I, I mean, I've gotten so addicted to the fucking 120 character, you know, bullshit that, you know, I like. I if I'm not constantly entertained, I just if I'm not doing something, I, I feel like I'm a failure. I'm not productive. And there's just something about just turning it all off and just being fucking bored. Like, I'm bored. I read this article yesterday that said that in 2013, our, our the average attention span was like 14 seconds or something, and now it's like eight seconds mm-hmm. and there was a solution in the article but I didn't finish it <laughs> <laughs> well so let's ask our final question um, what's like the biggest mistake you made like kind of on your career path it doesn't have to be the biggest what's what's a mistake that you guys made in your career that you would kind of warn people to not do we just all get really quiet and start oh, crying <laughs> um, or like maybe a misconception you had about the business or something that Again, catering to like maybe a new filmmaker in LA. What's something that you people one. think is true? Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> when you um, are making your own work and putting it out there, make sure uh, make sure you have more ideas and more scripts. Always be writing. Always be creating. And the like. I I was fortunate. I directed a college humor video. Did very well. And I got brought into Columbia Pictures. And they were like, hey, we like your work. This is, it's really funny. What else do you have? And like, I had like a bunch of ideas, but I didn't have a script. Whereas if I had a script that was like, this is a great vehicle for this person, and I'd love to do it because this, then that's something. Whereas I was just like, yeah, I got ideas, and you know, and I was like expecting it to be like an interview, like they're going to be like, cool, you're great. Here's whatever movie we have. And that's not how it works, obviously. Uh, or at least not all the time. So, uh, always have more in your back pocket. Like my, what I took from that is I need to have two or three scripts that I could then just immediately email them and say, this is what I want to do or, you know, and, and that would have helped me with that situation. But I don't know. That's something, I guess. Yeah. It seems like people definitely notice the extra effort. Like, even if, like, you're pitching on a commercial or something and someone says something on the phone that's a funny idea and 
when you send them the treatment, you just add one more page. You spent like an extra half an hour thinking about that thing they said in an image can make all the difference. Like, oh, wow. They, like, we've heard it on our podcast all the time. People getting booking commercials because their treatment was the longest. Sure. You know? yeah. Like, there was a 29-page treatment. Everyone else sent us 10 pages. So there's something about that, like, illusion of an unlimited flow of ideas that I think excites people. Yeah. I, I, one thing, it's, I guess it's just a maybe a positive lesson that I've learned is that it's okay if something you make and put out there doesn't get attention right away or doesn't get press or does, that doesn't mean it's a failure. I, I think I spent so many years beating myself up about like making all these videos and feeling like they were just going into a void sure. and spending all of my time and money and all of the stuff and once I had one thing go well, which was Adult Wednesday Adams, all of a sudden, all of my work mattered in like, all of a sudden I had this catalog of work. And I think if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have gotten that first job. And I, f I was so happy to realize that, that all of a sudden the things that I felt like were in the void actually got lifted out. So I think it's just, don't let the early stuff that you make, it, don't be discouraged. if doesn't get only your mom and your friends from college see it awesome mm, let's see I think when you're on a set and I mean when you're learning like a lot of times you don't know what works for you but if you know that there's something that works for you that works for your flow stick with it like I think it was like my, my third episode of television I was directing and I, I found that like I like to yell action I like to you know tell the actors that I'm there and this is the pace we're setting. And you know, if I want to pause for a second, you know, whatever. And they, you know, I was on the was one of the shows, and the AD started yelling, just started yelling, action the whole time, action. And I'm like, oh, maybe this is how I do it on on this show. And yeah, so yeah. I, they're they're like a little bit like, well, yeah, of course I call action. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so and so I just, I just let him do it the whole time, and I was my rhythm was thrown off the whole episode. And you know, I talked to another director. I'm like, is you know, is, do you just let you know? them de determine like no if you want to fucking yell action you yell action you know so yeah. all I have to say is like now if like I know there's something like I like to have these little tiny monitors that are as close to the actors as possible you know so I always tell them like I need tiny monitors close to the camera so I can be as close to the actors because I don't want to be running you know five miles from you know you know I know a script that calls you a trencher that's uh, that's the term for that. Yeah, yeah you're in the trenches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scripties hate it. I can't stand it when like a camera assistant sets up a monitor where you're facing away from set. You know, yeah. like where the actors are behind you. It's just oh. it's like they're Drive not even crazy. thinking about where they're putting the monitor. It's just where the electric outlet is. So, but I mean, if you're learning, obviously, if you're learning, learn. Like you know, maybe you want to be far back, maybe you want to be close. But once you know it, this works for me. Stick to it. Yeah, some some directors like to sit down and be far away. I'm the same way. I uh, on Adam ruins everything. I think it was the first director to bring on like double dual monitors, and I would always put it as close as I could get without you know infringing on the space of the crew. Uh, and then on hot date, that's how the whole show was. There was like a video village set up somewhere else, and I was right there in the scene. And it's just for me, same thing. I want to be closer to actors. I don't want to yell at them from two rooms away. I want to be able to just walk over to them and talk to them. And yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you totally, it's not a good end question, but I'm just asking for a project I have coming up. How do you guys, <laughs> how do you guys decide whether you're going to go like dolly sticks or handheld, like on a scene? 
for me, it's, it's just a, a, like emotion. You know, I try to think what's the emotion of the scene. You know, that's or drone. Yeah. I know you really into your drone lately. I'm <laughs> my drone, but I already pitched it to the client and they nixed it. <laughs> it's like a comedy dialogue scene. Yeah, I, I guess emotion is a good start. It's also on, uh, you know, on hot date, there would be scenes where we would transition through someone uh, like putting a bottle down, like someone would take a sip of wine and then go to put it down and we would hard cut to the next scene where they, that person was putting their glass of wine down. And so for that, I wanted to start on the wine and then pull back out. So it made sense to be on a slider, which means it makes sense for the whole scene to be on sticks. Uh, and sometimes I let that uh, determine it unless it was like a very emotional, like crazy stressed out scene or, you know, something that it had to be on sticks or it had to be uh, handheld. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit of both. Sometimes the, I guess the craft serving the style and sometimes the emotions serving the style. And, so, and sometimes, honestly, it's, it, goes, it comes down to speed. You know, like if you, if you get towards the end of the day and you're like, I only have an hour left to shoot, you know, two hours worth of material. Can I do handheld here? Yeah, okay, let's do that because it's faster. Unless it's like, you know, a slow, plotting, emotional scene, you're like, there's no way we can do it. You know, throw it up a steady cam. Right. You know, whatever. Have you figured that out, Melissa, for your show? The camera movement kind of style? No, don't make me feel bad, Oren. Oh, sorry. <laughs> God. Cool. Well, when Matt and I are co directing it, um, we will. Uh, Wait, which Matt? We'll figure it though. out. Which Matt? <laughs> We're directing a quartet. Um, Cool. Well, so should we, Matt Enlow uh, had an idea for our unpaid endorsements. Yeah, I thought we could all sing the unpaid endorsements jingle. Oh, man. Three, two, one. Unpaid endorsements. Da-da-da-da. Thanks, guys. (laughs) That was great. Awesome. Thank you. I was going to have Charles, who originally sang the, the tune, come do this one. I was like, ah, he's, he doesn't want to come do that. It would be embarrassing. So this is so much better. Thanks, guys. Um, so for our unpaid endorsements today, just because we wanted to kind of keep them quick and uh, fun, we thought uh, it would be just fun to ask all three of you guys what neighborhoods you live in and what, like, the must-try restaurant in your neighborhood is. Um, you know, on our podcast, we talk a lot about L.A. versus not L.A., but we figure... That most of our audience either is in LA or will come to LA at some point, and it's always nice to know like the insider, you know, restaurant of, of every neighborhood. So, Barber, where do you live? Highland Park, Eagle Silver Rock, Lake. Silver Lake. Oh yeah, yeah right yeah, next to me. Yeah, I'm like a me. block from you. I'm a block from you, dude. <laughs> it's like the tenth time you tell me, you tell me you live a block from me. So what? Where should I eat? Um, Bowery Bungalow. Oh. Have you, it's the. Let me just say, the beef tongue gnocchi to die for no <laughs> try it they have this great like baba ganoush it's amazing it's amazing it's like lebanese right no it's like well mediterranean i guess that's you know lebanese-ish oh cool yeah. and it's on santa monica boulevard no no it's on uh yeah santa monica yeah 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 okay yeah. cool yeah thanks Paul. um i live where i live at a weird spot where east hollywood meets uh thai town meets little armenia meets uh los Feliz. So it's uh, right near UCB, basically. Uh, there's uh, a lot of great places, uh, a lot of great Thai places. If you're going to get Thai, definitely go there. It's Thai town for a reason. Uh, I mean, my favorite restaurant is Sugarfish. It's sushi. You can't go wrong. The first time I had it, I actually, like, 
legit started to tear up because I was like, this is so good. And I was like, well, who gets emotional eating food? And I was like, no, nah, I get it now. Uh, but those you could find anywhere. So uh, I still stick with it. I didn't realize how to be neighborhood centric. So oh, we, it do doesn't have, have to be. Yeah, but Sugarfish yeah. is great. I mean, I'm yeah. sure most of those people, the people here yeah. know it. But what's amazing about Sugarfish is you basically tell them if you want to spend $20, $30 or $40 and then 